this is Carrie Peters and Stacey Morgenstern and welcome to better than ever a health coach Institute podcast where we're here to question how we do life because the normal rules no longer apply Hey, everybody, it's Carrie Peters, and I am here with Ms. Stacey Morgenstern, my fearless co-creator at Health Coach Institute. And uh, on this podcast, it's National Cancer Survivor Month right now. And what an incredible um, experience to honor. Um, Surviving is uh, an extraordinary accomplishment. And we want to talk about, I think, one of the things that helps us survive anything challenging. I mean, certainly cancer and so many other things, but then to survive and, and maybe, maybe even take a step beyond it and thrive. And that is something that's dear to our hearts and it's community, it's tribe and the importance of the people around us in hard times. Mm. So Stacy, I'm excited to be here talking about this with you. Yeah, I really, I love this topic uh, because no matter what you're going through, oh, we, we tend to, to evaluate pain and suffering as one is more than the other. But when you're in pain, all pain is maximal in some ways. We all load up difficult experiences for ourselves. And whether it's an illness or a big life transition, I feel like that this is a, a really important topic because what we're going to talk about today is the emphasis on community and the importance of support to be able to be held through difficult times. The really sort of pivotal experience of cancer in my life was um, losing my grandmother um, to a brain tumor, glioblastoma, in 2000. And I I was 25 years old. I'd never experienced a death in the family. And, um, you know, one of the things that as as devastating as the news was, as horrifying as that tumor was, um, the thing that stays with me um, about the experience of her passing, and I mean, she was diagnosed in May, and we lost her in October. It was it was a short period of time, but what struck me about that time is so beautiful and special is how our family came together, and we have a very big family, and and my grandmother had lots of friends, and. It was, the, it was the joining of everybody together in community that made it so beautiful and so special. And that even though, you know, I certainly miss her to this day, I really treasure uh, how we all got each other through, even the day that she passed, the, the, the days afterwards, and still to this day, how we, how we honor her. Um, and that we could, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like if we didn't have that group of people to carry us through. Well, I, I have a confession to make, which is that um, a number of years ago, I had a dear friend who had breast cancer. And, uh, and when I found out the news... Um, of course, like right there, give her a hug. And, but as, as actually she got pretty sick over time, I reached a point where I didn't know what to do. And I became afraid that I was afraid of her pain. I wanted to fix it somehow, trying to make it better 
And then another part of me wanted to run away just because I was scared. I didn't know how to just be with. And I learned a really important lesson that when somebody is going through a hard time and there really isn't something to to do to, to fix it, the most powerful thing is to just be with them in the moment. And no, you don't have to say that it's okay because maybe it's not okay for them. But to just even be with that too, be willing to be with really strong emotions. And this takes tremendous courage because what I learned was when I wanted to fix it, I was trying to save me from feeling Mm. those difficult feelings. Oh, yeah. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. And so what I learned was, yes, it is so terrifying to be in front of someone who is now telling you that they have cancer or that they are going to die. Um, And, uh, and, and how, we, we collapse into our own stuff. And the thing that they most need is they don't need you to fix it because you can't. But what they most need is just for you to hold their hand, look them in the eyes and say, I feel you, I'm here. And just be in that state because they're terrified too. And I, I have to say, like, I mean, it almost makes me cry because there was a time in my life where I didn't know how to do that. And this is, um, this is a huge gift. The uh, most amazing gift I think you can give to someone is to just hold their hand, look in their eyes and say, I'm here. Mm. Well, I think that's beautiful. And it also strikes me that if you can't do that, or if you do that and then you come away and then fall apart. Yeah. (laughs) Like who, who gets to hold you when you're holding someone? Um, I feel like we, we, we have a, I guess it's a culture to some extent where we've, uh, maybe it's just an American thing where it's like, ah, I pull myself up on my bootstraps and I make things happen. And there's such a, a focus on us doing things and making things okay as individuals that uh, we forget that for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years that we survived in tribes and that we, we faced the, the waves of life and were buoyed by other people. And it, it's, it's, you know, we move, not, first of all, not everybody likes their family. I mean, that's just <laughs> the truth. And second of all, we also, we move away. I mean, it's not, like it was many, many years ago where people didn't leave their hometown or lived on the same block as their parents or maybe even in the same house with aunts and uncles. And like there's that, that just doesn't really exist as much. I shouldn't say it doesn't exist. I'm, I'm sure it does in some areas, mm-hmm. but often people move away because they can or because of a job opportunity or because they may, you know, be able to have access to a city that they love and you can end up, you know, 2000, 3000 miles away from your family or your best friends. And it can, I I think that life in the way that we're experiencing it in this day and age can feel really isolating and and lonely. 
I know. Absolutely. I I would even go so far as to say a lot of our neurosis and mental health and even perhaps physical illness is a result or a correlate of that isolation that we are experiencing such pain and confusion from separation of tribe. And that's actually what we're all trying to get back. You know, it's funny, Stacey, I've been reading a lot about artificial intelligence and I kind of going down that rabbit hole of going, what's coming? And the whole promise of it saying, oh, it's going to make life so much better. Quality of life is going to be so much better. And I think to myself, how much better? I mean, it's interesting that as far as that we've come as a society in terms of our technology and our capability, at the end of the day, people are not happier uh, as a whole um, in general. Statistics don't show that. They show a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of dissatisfaction. And it's because I think in, in all our efforts to improve things, we are forgetting like our core need and that's belonging. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, you know, a core need to belong to a group of people who you love, who love you, who you trust, who you feel safe with, who you um, can express yourself with, um, and who kind of have your back day in and day out. And and since we 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 don't always want that with our family of origin, mm-hmm. um, or and even if we do, we may not be in a location where we can have that. I mean, it sort of, it falls to us to look to create a tribe, a community for ourselves. And, you know, it's funny. I, I live in uh, Chicago in a big city, Stacey. I don't know if this is true in San Francisco, but my, one of my closest friends lives maybe walking distance. I don't know, six, seven blocks from me, maybe a five minute walk. And I maybe see her every other month or maybe every three months. I mean, it's just, it's difficult to, to get together, especially she's got kids who are a different age. We both work like, you know, life comes in. And so we, um, you know, one of the things that I think will be different in the future is urban planning and architectural design so that we have more default communities such that you and your friend, even you live a couple blocks away, that instead of only seeing each other every three months, it would be built in to your life flow and pathways that you, you would cross more often just by default, not even by having to arrange that. And the, the, the benefits of that is that there's more real-time tracking of what you're up to, what's going on for you, um, and on a practical level, your well-being. So what I see as the future of tribing, and this is something we do at uh, the Health Coach Institute and something that in my own personal life, certainly developing living in a community house with eight adults and four kids. And um, what we were wanting was a larger and enlarged nucleus. Like, so that's not just nuclear family. It's that it's an large. So one, you're not holding everything all by yourself as a nuclear family, which in today's world just feels impossible and so stressful. And second is that, it's what you just said 
who's got your back and then whose back do I have so that everyone is tracking and being tracked and that we consider ourselves as one organism, one ecosystem, where if your well-being is hurting in some way, that I am alerted, that I'm, I'm going to um, step up. Or if my well-being is hurting in some way, that you're going to do that for me. And there's, there's something in this system that is regenerative, meaning uh, that I'm not just giving and giving and giving and depleted and exhausted. I am actually being contributed to. And this is very common, I would say, for uh, mothers especially, but people who also tend to be service providers like health coaches. Health coaches also need health coaches. Like this is one of the things that um, I feel like such a stand for in the world because we have such a loss of tribe that health coaches become your advocate for well-being because we don't tend to have that or give ourselves permission to have that or construct the structure that would give us that in our culture today. That's not normalized. Um, but certainly um, this is, if if community was more built into our culture, how much more well would we be? Hmm. That was not grammatically correct, but I got it, but I got it, (laughs) but you did get it. And just how much, not only how much healthier, but how much more alive and vibrant and also uh, eradicating some of the stress related diseases, because we know that over 95% of diseases are stress related So if they're all stress-related, well, why are we holding so much stress in our system? And I think it's because of this pain of not belonging, a pain of separation, of, of holding way too much, way more than one person should be holding. And if we were more interconnected and interdependent, not just codependent, but interdependent, where... I've got your back and somebody's got my back. So it's regenerative. If we were more interdependent, then we would see a lot less illness and a more wellness. By the way, you know, the word illness, if you take out the I and replace it with we, you've got wellness. Illness becomes <laughs> wellness. So go from an I, agentic, to a we, more communitarian, and you've got wellness. Hmm. What do you think of that? I think that has to be some sort of t-shirt or meme or something like that. That's (laughs) we've got way too much. I and not enough. We agreed. I I think one of the challenges with, you know, particularly your, your family of origin that sometimes as much as you love them, they may not get you and, and you may not get them. I mean, just because you're born into a family together doesn't mean you're you're all soulmates to a degree because you're living, you know, this life together, but it doesn't mean that you're simpatico. And, um, and I think it's one of the things that's important about creating a community, uh, with work, like with HCI, you know, like Stacy in your personal life, you live with eight adults and four kids and, and you guys have all made a decision. Like, this is the thing that's important to us. We're going forward. Awesome. At HCI for work, 
Um, you know, all of us who get into coaching and health coaching, you know, we're, we're not a huge percentage of the population because <laughs> we're a little different. I think we're a little different. We're driven by helping other people. We're driven by personal growth. We're driven by possibility. Um, we're driven by innovation. We're driven by um, a, a desire to understand human nature and human behavior. And not everybody is wired that way. And that's okay. They don't have to be. That's, you know, the beauty of having diversity in this world. But it's important to be in a community with people who do get you. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Stacy. when we do our live events, we call them HCI Live, and we do them twice a year. And what's cool is that, I mean, you and I may be leading the event, but what's really amazing about it is when I walk into the room and I see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of health coaches, I know that every single one of them gets me and I get them. Mm. That on some foundational level, when we come together as a community through HCI for, for work and for friendship, um, there's, you don't, we, we get to skip a step in a way because we all are on the same page. Like, <laughs> we're all on the same page about what matters to us and, and the kind of work that we want to be doing in the world. So there's sort of immediate also, community there. Yeah. Well, I think something else to say about the HCI community is people come to this tribe with a desire that they may not even have known that they had, which is permission to reinvent themselves. And there's a way that that can be difficult to do in family of origin. Yeah. And yet it's something that is killing us on the inside. Like we are bleeding on the inside from accommodating, compromising, not being true to ourselves, but we're faced with the difficulty of exposure of, of exposing that we want to reinvent ourselves. And usually family of origin or people who've known us for years and years or decades, they're like, no, you can't reinvent yourself because I've spent all this time getting to know you and fitting you into a box. And I don't want to have to start all that all over again. So no, you can't reinvent yourself. Or I haven't given myself permission to reinvent myself. So you can't reinvent yourself make you feel guilty and resent you for that. And so we get kind of stuck into others listening of us. And when you come to HCI Live or when you uh, join our community, I think there's a, like a, a, a social understanding of it's okay to reinvent yourself here. I'm not going to hold you in a box and our students and I, I think myself and you Carrie included um oh gosh that is so healing yeah. and refreshing and it's like wow you mean I can actually be me and still belong and if I change my mind tomorrow about who I want to be you'll still love me and the answer every time is yes that we're all being a stand for one another, being true to you. Because anything else is toxic. 
And that does take courage. It is risky. It does feel risky, but I hope to create a safe listening field for uh, ourselves and our students to come and to reinvent and to be who you came here to be in this one precious life. Yeah, one of the <laughs> one of the things we call a safe listening zone. We call it the judgment free zone. <laughs> JFZ, no judgment here. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think is challenging when you're going through a tough time, and everybody's personality is different, but I think uh, that some of us tend to turn inward and sort of isolate and hide out, and that it can be hard to. I mean, if you, assuming you don't have a tribe, or even if you do, even if you have close friends that you really, really love, there are times when, especially, my gosh, you know, when you're in a life or death situation or something really intense is going on in your life, where it can be a a default reaction to turn inward and not ask for help, but to kind of sort of go into a cave and lick your wounds a little bit, like just saying, like, I really need to be alone with something, which is fine. But I think there's also a sense of not wanting to burden other people. Mm. And that if I reach out to family or friends, am I a burden? If I say to um, my girlfriend or my mom or my sister or my aunt, um, I'm really struggling. Um, how, How to say that? Do we not say that? Because it feels like a failure. It feels like you're being weak. You know, I think that's another... Um, something that's, that's part of American culture uh, is this, uh, this idea of being strong and being able to handle anything and everything. Um, I'd love to say something about the burden piece. There may be people in your life who are not currently available for really heavy stuff. They might not be. And at the same time, That is not for us to decide. It's for them to decide. Because when we hold in and think we're going to be a burden or imposition on someone else and we don't let them in to what's really happening for us, we miss out on intimacy. And everyone wants more intimacy. And there will be, there may be people in your life who will say like, you know what, I'm, I'm, you can even say, I'm going through a really difficult time are you available and allow the other person to decide yes or no. And that's okay. Not to take it as rejection. If they're not, it's that I love you. I totally wish I could show up for you right now. And right. And I can't like that. If we could teach each other how to hold authentic boundaries, we would have, so much more intimacy. And isn't that what we're really hungry for? Well, sure. But isn't it also terrifying? I mean, isn't intimacy and being close with someone and revealing vulnerability in front of other people just terrifying? I mean, it's a level of vulnerability that is, as much as we might be hungry for it, we're also really afraid to take a bite. Yes, we are, but we are also already in pain from not risking that exposure. We're sitting at home then and crying and saying, I, I just wish somebody would hold me right now. 
and but we're not letting anyone in. And this is, uh, yes, it's going to take a, a leap of faith to, to heal that gap. And it does take courage, but it can lead to something beautiful. And that's what we have to play for. Is it, you know, it's like where playing it safe actually feels worse than the risk because what the cost opportunity that you give up is true intimacy, which is what your heart really longs for. Well, at the end of the day, you know, in, in our transformational coaching method, it's the, the coaching methodology that we train our students in. And in it, Stacy is the main teacher of this methodology. And she teaches that there are three basic human needs and they are love, safety, and belonging. And that at the end of the day, we want to feel safe being ourselves with people. We want to feel loved for who we are and where we are. And no matter where that might be. (laughs) And we want to feel like we belong in a place where we're, you know, authentically ourselves. And so when you think about your experience or your life, and if you are going through a difficult time, whether it's with your health or, or anything that might be up for you, is to look around for those people who you feel that you can be yourself with, um, who love you, who you feel safe with, who you feel you belong with, and reach out to them maybe more than you might. Mm-hmm. And to share, you know, it's interesting. I, I had um, really close friends, best friends since I was in third grade. I mean, two of my best girlfriends, I guess that makes us, I don't know, we were eight years old, so 34 years we've been friends. Wow. And yeah, I mean, just forever. And, and some of my other close friends are from college, so it's been 20-some 20, 20 years. Um, but what's, what I noticed about myself in my 30s, and it's when I started on this journey of coaching, is that I really, I only let them in so far. Uh, you know, I only, I didn't tell them like really sort of deep things about myself that I was learning, um, from coaching until I thought to myself, why not? Why not? What, what would be, be interesting to, to share with them? As a matter of fact, one of my best friends, Michelle is the first person I talked to, um, about having an eating disorder. And she, of course, so I've known her for so many years. She actually had a terrible eating disorder in her 20s. And in my 30s, when I was finally realizing that I was like, this is what I was dealing with and I was recovering from it, she was the first person that I actually told. And because I was, because I had such a, an incredible conversation with her and she was so amazing, um, I was able to turn around and talk about it with all of our students, everybody at HCI, anyone that I talk with and go like, hey, got to see that you don't have to be in perfect health and have all your stuff figured out to be a successful coach. You can be going through whatever it is that you're going through um, and still help people. And it was because of that conversation with her that I was able to make that leap in growth. Mm. So if you're in a situation where you're, you're having a difficult time and you haven't really reached out or maybe 
you know, maybe you've, you've kind of glossed over like, oh, I'm all right. Everything's okay. But you haven't really gone into the depths of what might be up for you um, with a really close friend or, you know, somebody that is in your community that you feel close with, that, then it's a good idea to do that, to do that, you know, today. Um, because even though there is a risk of vulnerability or feeling weak, there's the reward of having someone just, just validate what's happening for you. And like Stacy, you were saying either hold space or, Oh yeah, this is awful. (laughs) Be really empowering. This is something that Gregory and I used to do earlier in our relationship and we were learning how to be more vulnerable with one another, but it's really simple exercise and it's empowering for both people. So it's not like one person just confesses their deepest pain and is sitting there raw and tender and exposed um, well, without the other person having also some, some reciprocal vulnerability and so the exercise is you each get five minutes. You literally set a timer so that you have a stopping point. And for five minutes, the other person just listens, doesn't ask questions, doesn't respond or react a whole lot. It's just simply you can, you can bitch and complain, vent, whatever you need to do. You could just cry. You don't even have to use words. It's your five minutes of just being completely listened to and held and somebody being present with you. And then you switch roles. And there's not a whole lot of fanfare in it. You're not problem solving. You're not giving them advice or tactics. It just simply is creating the safe listening place. And after that five minutes, I felt so much closer to him. It didn't create any kind of weird power differential like oh, I'm a mess and you have all your stuff together <laughs> because we each had permission to just bleh. And it didn't go on forever and ever. It was a container of five minutes. And then you end. Then it's complete so that you don't end up wallowing or take on a frame of victimization because that doesn't actually move anything. It doesn't feel so great. So to have some kind of container to have some kind of agreement for safe listening and for that vulnerability and, uh, and you're switching roles and it just is like, it's not trying to pretty it up. So it's not like, Oh, this sounds really terrible. I'm being really mean right now or catty. You know what? Sometimes you just need to be like, give yourself permission for five minutes. And the thing is about when you do that kind of listening for each other, as the listener, your job is not to start piling, making judgments about the content of the share. This is just for this five minutes, this person has a lot of feelings. So if they end up talking about someone else, saying something judgmental, I'm not going to make that wrong. It doesn't mean it's the whole story. That other person isn't a bad person. This is just simply because we all just like, sometimes we just need to like clean house and just bleh. Um, so five minutes each. We do it for each other, and um, this created a, a, a safe way to both be vulnerable and develop that kind of intimacy that we've been talking about. Yeah, that's lovely. I mean, certainly with with uh, a loved one, that's amazing. And 
if your friends are up for it, that's great too. And I would just say, you know, when, when times are really, really tough, um, that you don't be afraid to create a community of support outside of friends and family. Uh, that if, if things are getting really dark or really difficult, that you can consider having another community of people, whether that's a coach or a therapist or a counselor, um, a doctor, uh, a priest, a pastor, um, anyone in your life who you feel like you can, you can go to um, outside of friends and family, that that's another kind of community, a support community um, that can be really useful in really challenging times. And I think sometimes there's either stigma around that, like, oh, I need to go talk to someone. Like everybody needs to go talk to someone. I look forward to the day where that's no longer stigmatized. (laughs) The way our lives are, it's like, we should all have a therapist on our shoulder every day or a coach on our shoulder every day. Uh, but there's no, so there's no like, um, way in which you feel like you can't really, at the end of the day, whether it's a community of friends or family or a community of support people, um, the idea is to be able to be and express what's really true for you and to do that in a way that's witnessed and held so that once you express it, it can move. You know, the exercise that Stacy was explaining with her husband, Gregory, was just that. It was just being able to express what's true. And then once she did, there was a change in, in, in her sense, in her beingness. She felt close to her husband. Emotions probably moved. And that we all need that. We all need that. Without that, we start to shrivel inside. Mm-hmm. So no matter what kind of community is that you're creating, or you could have several kinds of communities, there has to be a place where other people or someone else gets to be a witness for what's authentically true for you. Yeah. And one other piece on the burden is that I forgot to say is that we just, we deprive somebody of the opportunity to contribute to us. We love to give. We love to give. When someone asks you for, for like, oh, you know, I'd love to bend your ear on something. I feel so flattered. Really? (laughs) Wow. Cool. Okay. What is it? (laughs) And there are no givers without receivers. It is part of the same cycle. So when you ask for help, when you lovingly ask for help or make a request or ask someone to be with you through a difficult time, you give them the opportunity to contribute to you and for them to, to feel full by, by giving it, it, it. And that is a gift to give someone the opportunity to give is a gift. You know, especially for those of you who are used to giving all the time, giving, 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 that you're the ones that need to learn how to receive the most. Yeah. Um, It's incredibly important. And especially if you're someone in your relationships where you feel resentful and tired and drained, I'm always giving, I'm always giving. Well, when you're always giving, you're going to attract people who don't give because you don't know how to receive. So you're not going to attract someone who's a giver. You're going to attract someone who's a taker because all you're doing is giving. So eventually there's, you know, and it's not, you know, again, we're really just coming back to what's true for us. 
and what's true. What's true is that there's giving and there's receiving. And then if, if we're just participating in one part of that cycle, then a part of us feels like it's missing out. And it is. Carrie, there's something that just came to mind through this too, as I imagine healing crises like this is, um, we, we are doing a national cancer survivor month here and healing crisis is what allows us to be more mindful about taking care of our bodies while our soul and body align. What do you, what do you um, mean by healing crisis? Well, getting a diagnosis, for example, is a crisis point. And crisis actually means to sift. You separate what matters from what you no longer need, what's no longer serving you. So we come to these crisis points because without some point of crisis, we can put off change. We can keep putting it off. We can procrastinate it. And, uh, and then a crisis point happens. And it's kind of like, you know how you say, Carrie, that if you don't pay attention to money, it will get your attention and in a way that you might not like. Yes, I learned that from a mentor of mine, yes. And health is the same. We could really parallels all over the place. So health is the same. If you don't pay attention to your health, it will get your attention and probably in a way that you don't like. This is certainly not to say that it is somebody's fault. Nobody is at fault for getting a diagnosis. Um, That is definitely not, not at all what I'm saying. But simply that the healing crisis um, does present us with an opportunity to sift away what no longer serves and what wants to be healed through us. And usually it's some sort of alignment. There's some place where um, our deepest longings are wanting to emerge because when you really are faced with that, like let's say you're going to die or you're going to get sick or you're not going to be able to do the things that you've always done, there is a real moment of truth there where I'm going to stop betraying myself. I'm going to stop sacrificing for everyone else in my life. And I'm going to get to what's true because I don't know how many tomorrows I have. So there's something about that, that, um, I just wanted to bring us present to that, um, ah, the gratitude that I feel for the healing crises that I've faced that allowed me to take inventory of what's a match and what's not, where, where am I in alignment and where am I out of alignment and coming back home into my, my true self. And I think that having community, as we tie this all together in a neat bow, is just having community is also the people who can hold up mirrors to remind you of this, yeah. of where you seem folded because where you're folded that's therein lies a lie and where we store lies in our body is where we store pain where that pain turns into suffering and illness um so um yeah I I just I take this time I used to actually do um body work when I was in my early 20s for cancer and AIDS patients 
And uh, these were people who, who were dying. They, they, they were at the end stage. A lot of them were in hospice at this point. And they were wanting to do healing before they died. So, I mean, we're all dying. Whether you've been given the diagnosis or not, you, you have a life sentence. So you're alive for as long as you're alive. But we're all dying. We're going to die. Not going to get out of that one. Um, and these people were choosing to do some healing and the healing that was most to be done was to be true to themselves. And we know that on their deathbed, the number one regret of the dying is that I wasn't true to myself. I was living the life that others wanted of me. So I feel like that in a healing crisis is, is a real gift to unfold the lies and come into right relationship with your truth, your soul's longing who you came here to be. And that is a gift. And this is what I envision for the future of community where we can hold up mirrors and reflect that back to each other, to remind each other. So that community is about remembering, right? Membership, your membership. It's a remembering is your sense of belonging. And belonging has to do with being yourself, allowing yourself to be revealed, to be seen. Hmm. I had to just enter that in. And um, I think we all need to be reminded that we're not alone. We don't have to hold the heaviness of the world on our shoulders. And if you're feeling alone, then be proactive about finding community and reconnecting with your tribe and loving each other hard. <laughs> That's what we say at HCI. Find your tribe, love them hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. I feel super grateful for the community that we've built. We've gotten to know our students over the years and, uh, and they just keep coming back. And that's what makes this community alive and what gives us um, our chance to do our great work in the world as well. I'm super grateful for that. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thanks everybody. For tuning in to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast. For more information on our programs, please go to www.healthcoachinstitute.com. Comment and share if you like what you hear.